When we first started this five years ago, Organic Edible Garden, I would say to people, if you follow us, you'll be able to put food on your table every day of the year. I figured that they could even, surely they could put a bit of mint on their table or a bit of parsley at the very least, you know, so I didn't think I was giving them false hope, but I did, I did truly mean that. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Today, I'm joined by Jan from Organic Edible Garden, and she joins us all the way from New Zealand. Um, we had a fantastic conversation about uh, how she got into horticulture, her history of horticulture, and, and what she did. Um, she's been involved in all sorts of things uh, when it comes to, to growing plants, uh, including a TV show. So we had a, a brilliant conversation. It's quite interesting to talk about how she grows. Uh, so she does a lot of lunar planting. If you don't know what that is, uh, you'll find out in the interview. Um, so really, really great conversation. Now, obviously, we're this is going out just before new year's eve so just before new year's day and it's a fantastic time to start planning what you're going to be doing in the garden for the coming year Um, and traditionally it's the time to get out seed catalogues when you've got bored of christmas films or something like that Um, so grab your seed catalog and and have a peruse through um, and see what you're going to grow for the year or you can go online look at fantastic websites but definitely if you're you're lost of what to do and you're fed up of watching reruns of of the programs you've watched all year anyway um, that's what i would be doing and have a look in your garden and see what what beautiful things you're going to be growing Um, so without further ado let's start the podcast Hi, you're listening to Plants and Me, the podcast that is all about plants, gardening, and the people who are passionate about them, with your host, Alan Lodge. Welcome to the podcast, Jan. Thank you very much indeed, Alan. No problem at all, and thank you for joining us. But tell people where you're joining us from, because it's a, it's a fair distance from where I'm sitting now. It is um, in Auckland, New Zealand. Right at the bottom of the world. Yes, indeed. So people who aren't particularly familiar with New Zealand, whereabouts is Auckland? Auckland's right at the top. Um, it's not the capital city, Wellington is, but we are not right up the top, not by Cape Reinga, but we're in the big isthmus at the top, just after the big bite, the top of the North Island here. So it's very warm, lovely warm, temperate climate. Mm. And we were just talking before we hit record, um, I'm waiting for the sun to come up, but it's a, it's a beautiful day where you are. It is. We have a very windy spring and we've survived that uh, with climate change. Obviously, you know, the weather extremes are a little bit more than usual, but yes, we've had a very windy spring and now we are just in a beautiful sort of warm lull at the moment. So and the evenings are long. And um, yep, I've got my window wide open and looking at a beautiful sun about to set. <laughs> Very nice. And we're, it'd be interesting to get onto a bit of climate change, the other side of the world, um, a bit later. But before we do that, tell people who you are and, and where you're from. I run the website, organicediblegarden.co.nz. My background is uh, television production, actually. Worked for Television New Zealand for many years, produced the part what was originally the Palmer's Garden Show, which was um, an hour-long garden show, a little bit like your Gardener's World, which played on prime time on our main channel, TV One, back in the day. And yeah, we had an hour on a Friday night between 8.30 and 9.30, which is as prime time as you get. Uh, but of course, times have changed <laughs> hugely. And yeah, so I ended up by having 
some children and working part-time and then I decided I'd, I think a lot of people go through this stage, they think that they'd like to actually work for themselves, own their own business and my passion has always been gardening. Back in those days when we had the Palmer's Garden Show which became Maggie's Garden Show, it was really all about ornamentals because in those days you actually grew your you bought your food from the supermarket. We had gone through the stage of, you know, after the war of growing our own food. And then we all went to work, women and men in the 60s and 70s. And we bought our food and that was, you know, coincided with the rise of the supermarket. And so we bought our food from the supermarkets and forgot how to grow. But then when I came through looking to do something and still passionate about gardening, it had become changed from ornamental to edible. And um, that was my passion. So I decided, went to the networks first of all and asked if they would be interested in an information program on gardening, but they weren't. It was just all about sort of, you know, drama and, and comedy and entertainment. And so I decided just to go online, as many people were doing in those days as well, too. And yeah, so, and that's five years ago when we started. And I had the fortune of having a couple of young lads out of film school who were keen for a bit of experience and we spent about 18 months making videos. I met Rob Velsabor, who's my presenter at our local Grayland Farmers Market. One day he was giving a talk, I think it was a spring gardening talk, and I looked at him and thought, hey, you are my presenter. And um, I waited till I got my act together first before I approached him. <laughs> <laughs> and he said yes, he'd just come off teaching an organic horticulture course. Uh, he'd done that for a few years and was sort of coming to the end of that. So this coincided nicely for him. So he came on board, presented the webisodes, we called them. And yeah, so we did that for a couple of years. We repeated for a year and then that all became a bit expensive. So we just ended up doing blog posts with stills. And that's where I'm at at the moment. But we are gathering momentum slowly. So that is my long, the long of it, basically. <laughs> And the um, in the early days um, with the the television program, uh, was it just a, a lot of luck that you ended up um, with the gardening show? No, well, I was just a keen young producer and director at that stage, and somebody mentioned a gardening show, and I thought, well, if anybody's going to produce it, that will be me. And not being <laughs> the most ambitious person on that occasion, I was, and I did actually win the job. And there was a presenter called Maggie Barry, who was um, actually a political reporter down in Wellington, who decided that if there was going to be a show that she wanted to um, front, it was going to be that one. And so she came up from Wellington and we got together and, and made this really what ended up by being a very successful gardening show. Hmm. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, and there's, um, I think you're right. The, I mean, Gardener's World in this country is still going and still going strong. But when I talk to people all over the world, it, it appears that the majority of gardening shows have gone to online now. Yes, that's right. Yes, yes. I mean, the British ones are the ones that survive, aren't they? But um, and mm. are on the cable networks. But yeah, the the rest are online. Yeah, and people are very happy to find it too. And I think really we do well on YouTube, and that's because ninety percent of the world live in the northern hemisphere, and because we're all the other way round. You know, six months in front, people therefore on YouTube can subscribe to you and just. Well, that, that means that they get advice when you do upload a new story, but basically they can look for what they want themselves at the right time. That's what we do a lot here. I actually, part of what, what I really want 
to achieve with our offering is that we deliver in a timely fashion so that people don't have to do any work. It's all delivered through social media or through newsletters. And that's my big way of getting out to people as a point of difference because most uh, effort that goes into gardening these days is talks and community gardening and things like that, which is all very local. Because I have the broadcasting experience, I thought I needed to get to as many people as I could. So therefore, the timeliness of everything is really important. But of course, that only pertains to the Southern Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. And interesting, actually. Um I, it's never occurred to me until you, you were talking there, but um, one thing for very keen gardeners or people who like to get their gardening fix in the Northern Hemisphere, I mean, it's, uh, what's the temperature? So it's, it's two degrees outside uh, at the moment, but I can read your stuff that happened uh, uh, last week, for example, and, and you can get your gardening fix in the winter. Mm-hmm, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> See all the lush green. Yeah, and something I didn't know, uh, and uh, I've, I've, funny enough, I've got a telescope, so I go and do a little bit of stargazing and stuff like that, but this is something I didn't know, and a part of your website is dedicated to gardening by the moon. Oh, yes. um, gardening by the moon, is that only, uh, it's clearly relevant across across the world, but is it relevant in every hemisphere when it comes to your calendar? Yes, it is. The only thing is, so all the moon phases are exactly the same, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, northern or the southern hemisphere, but of course the seasons are all different. But you can work from the moon phases perfectly well. So tell people a little bit about gardening by the moon. We call it lunar gardening here. Yes. Well, a lot of people actually think it's loony gardening, but I always say to them, hey, um, do you not realise that the, you know, tell me how it is that the tides go in and out. And then they go, oh, yes, well, I guess if it affects the sea, then it also affects the earth. Hmm. Um, and it very definitely does. The thing with us is just that if you are gardening organically, you need to be producing extremely healthy plants because you don't have anything to combat pests and diseases. So your total priority is creating you know, very, very healthy, strong plants because pests don't like strong plants, they only like weak ones. So we, we just line all our ducks up and one of them is the moon phases so the new moon is the ascending moon and that is best for our leafy greens rising up the next quarter is called the first quarter and that we say is best for plants that have seeds in them so tomatoes and beans and eggplants and um, peppers and chilies and that type of thing and The next one is the full moon, so that's descending, going down. So root crops is best during the full moon, constant focusing on root crops, sowing, planting. And the last one is the last quarter when we say in the summertime, it's a time when there's not very good growth. So rather than going against nature, it's best just to sort of have a week of maintenance in the summertime and in the winter, we just say rest. And the thing about moon phases, more than anything, I think, is that it gives a rhythm to your gardening month. So you're not you're not going, oh my gosh, summer, I've got to plant everything. And so everything goes in and it's all a bit panicky and all that kind of thing. This is like, you know, just very nicely putting in your, you know, your lettuces and your mescaline and your rocket and things like that, your silver beet and spinach or whatever in the, in the first um, new moon. And then you 
putting in your, you know, your solanums and the next one, your cucurbits and things like that. And then the third one, you're focusing on your root crops and then you're just feeding them and mulching them in the last one, say, in the month that we're in right now, you know. So it's just, there's a rhythm to it and that's quite calming and also connecting to nature. Hmm. And was this something you uh, you trialled or, or worked with uh, before you you decided you want to be organic or which which came first? It's interesting you say that actually. This is just something that I did work up with Rob. He sells um, organic herbs and seedlings and so he has a big tunnel house with quite a big operation and he would notice quite keenly because the plants are so small and he had so many of them that this happened. He observed it basically and so that was sort of verified so yeah so we so we just adopted it and yeah nothing oh the other thing too is is that in New Zealand with our Māori culture the the Māori equivalent is maramātaka and that's really huge in Māori traditional gardening and so it connects us to our indigenous people and yeah it's essentially kiwi Excellent, and and actually, I was going through your website, and you you mentioned. Um, sorry, you pronounced it. Can you say that again? Maori. Maori, yeah, Maori, because Māori. it's got a macron over the a, so it's a long a. Right. Maori, yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to double check. I was, <laughs> I've been haven't been pronouncing it wrong all my life, um, and I stumbled across, and I'm trying to think of the name of uh, name of the fruit. Um, I first looked, uh, I think you called it tomato tree. Oh, tamarillo, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. It's something I've never come across before. Yeah. Well, it's a thing that you need a warm climate to grow in, basically. So, um, yeah, it's beautiful. It's one of my, uh, it was my uh, childhood favourite, actually, the tamarillo tree, but it was called tree tomato then. But no, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful plant. You can grow those in guilds. They actually do quite well, three of them, you know, and they support each other because they're, it's kind of just like a big overgrown vegetable, actually, in some ways, and it doesn't last for that long. It is perennial, but only, like, say, about mm, four, four or five years, if you're lucky, you know. And, yeah, but it is beautiful, and there's yellow ones and red ones, and it's it's a delicious fruit. I think you always have to put a little bit of sugar on it, to be honest, when you cut it open, but <laughs> <laughs> it is lovely. Very nice. And you were you were saying about the um, the gardening by the moon effectively gives you a lovely rhythm to your gardening. And you also mentioned just before that about ideally giving people the information at the timely uh, when they need it and and all that sort of stuff. Is that it? Sounds to me like you've hit on on something that a lot of our guests talk about. Is actually it can be quite intimidating getting into gardening and and people clearly don't know what they don't know so is that why you've made that choice oh yeah well it's the reason for the whole website to be honest you know because as I said you know the mentioned before you know with the the, there's just a generational even two potentially that think that food comes from the supermarket you know and that they can eat anything any time of the year and I think that's the other good thing as well too not only just observing moon phases but also I think it's good for your body to eat seasonally. But yes, no, I mean, I think that there are courses, I think there are community gardens, but at the end of the day, everybody's very busy and people, and not everybody lives in the city either. We actually have a very big following with rural people who are very good online because they have to be. And at the end of the day, not everybody has time to go and, you know, weed the community garden and things like that. So I think that 
if you can have this delivered to you. And also what's happening now is that Rob is moving off his property. So the guy who really does know everything is moving on. And in order to keep everything going, we moved out here beginning of the year actually but in the middle of the year August springtime I did start setting up this garden which was just a big blank canvas and so I've taken over the blogging and I am do make mistakes and <laughs> don't know everything and I have to ask him and uh, other people but I know enough that I'm not boring you know and so I think that that has potentially encouraged more people to get involved because they can see that I'm doing it and you can, you know. So I'm hoping that because at the end of the day, you know, the, the year just ticks over and the same thing more or less happens again the next year. So you do, when you're in doing what I'm doing, you do need to dish it up differently each time as well mm, too, mm. you know. Hmm. Yeah, and it, it can be quite tricky to do that. Our nursery is now in its uh, coming towards its 70th year. Um, wow. I haven't been doing it that long, but um, our family has. Um and even I've, uh, so I've been in, in horticulture for around about 20 years. Um, and even I get to the point of thinking, oh, it's the same thing every year. But of course, you forget that there's another group of people coming along trying to learn these things. Well, there's that. And also the fact is, is that it will always be different. And this is what I think I'm really enjoying with uh, blogging my garden, really, I think, because there's always an issue or always something. When we were just filming how to grow celery you know and putting watercress as a companion plant around it and things like that and how to grow you know good strong corn and how to you know do your tomatoes through the lateraling and all the whole thing we often didn't follow all the way through sometimes we did sometimes we went and picked our tomatoes and preserved them and things like that you know but we didn't always follow through whereas what I'm doing now is completely following through so then we do get out of the moon phases because I will be and this is something I don't know do you know or oh, you know sweet potato but not kumara which yep. is what the Māori um, way of saying right. it and so I was growing them on in my mix of sand and potting mix and suddenly I looked at them and they were like you know sort of about 50 centimeters tall <laughs> oops a daisy not the full moon phase at the moment I'm going to have to plant those now you know whenever it was I can't remember it wasn't the right phase so I had to stick hmm. them in I was thinking oh no they're going to I, was, I actually kept my kumara in the pot because I thought they might all die but they're okay they're all going so that does happen too mm. Yeah, and that brings us um, to to something I I always ask people, and um, and that's uh, that is about failures, um, and maybe yours, uh, your notable failures are perhaps more recent than than maybe I would have thought. But have you got any notable failures that you've had? Well, you know, like this this evening, I cut um, my first cos lettuce, and it looked good. And I decided that I'm going to be really tough with myself. And so I thought that I hadn't grown it quick enough and I hadn't probably put enough water on because it was just a little bit bitter and it shouldn't have been. And so that, that would be my probably my first failure. Well, except it's not exactly a failure. It's just a learning, I think, you know. Yeah, quite. But, yeah, I mean, I can go back to, you know, where, when I first started gardening and things like that. I would say to my – and I think that probably – when I did really have my first garden, our problem was the soil 
And that really is the key to everything I have to say with food gardening. There is n- there's no there's no way you can get away with not having excellent soil and really putting an enormous amount of effort into soil. We in the end, I just couldn't. It, we were basically on a rubbish dump where we lived, you know. And every time we dug up something, you know, you find all this. People must have buried, you know, their belongings and not taken them to the tip, the place that we first lived in. And um, but and then the, so the second house that we moved to, I just made sure that we had tons of good stuff brought in you know because I wasn't going to have a you know situation like that again but now our key message is you know you have to have healthy soil healthy soil healthy plants healthy people yeah definitely is absolutely the go when you're food gardening and people don't understand that and like you know I'm going to have a good go this year because I put fresh soil in but next year there will be tons of compost dug into that we use, we love chicken manure. It's a well-composted chicken manure. We have a farm that, you know, there is a certified organic one. I don't actually get that because I just like it in the bags because we're small scale. But the farmers who are um, certified organic can have certified organic chicken manure. It's brilliant. Stinks a bit, but not too bad. <laughs> and that's brilliant for the nitrogen. And then we have a beautiful product, which is rock dust from Pairoa, which is along the Bay of Plenty Way. And that is got vermicast and seaweed and things like that. But it's mainly sort of basalt rock crushed and that's brilliant for your um you know your phosphorus and mm. um it does have a bit of potassium as well too and then we lo- also love comfrey make comfrey teas and stick comfrey in our when we're planting the potatoes and pour comfrey tea over the top of the tomatoes and things like that and you'd be amazed how much potassium's in that and put the comfrey round grow the bocking 14 cultivar around our fruit trees so it doesn't spread too much the other ones do the ones that seed do but basically just making that soil amazing, you know, like, and then when you do and it's fluffy and light, just use a fork, don't kill your worms with the spade, you know, and people, some people have those beautiful big wide broad forks, which one day I'd like to have too, but you know, and just, and make your compost. We have this gorgeous thing here in New Zealand. I don't know if you, I think you can, I've seen it on amazon.com actually. It's called the Hungry Bin. And it's a worm farm, but it sits up high like the bins. I don't know if you guys have those or not. Yeah, we do. We have kind of high bins that go out on the street. And so it sits up high like that. And so that means that the rats can't get in or the mice. And then it drips down its worm tea into the base, which is fine. But it's and so it's got a little funnel. Just Google it and have a look. It's just the most brilliant thing. It's reasonably pricey, but boy, it's a fantastic investment. And so, and those worms just chomp through everything. They can't take meat, but they can, um, it says they're not supposed to have um, onions and, and citrus, but they, they can manage that. No trouble. Put a bit of cardboard in there every now and again as well too. And there's heaps of products now that are, you know, can be a home compostable mm. too, you know, paper things that stuff comes in as well too. And, you know, a lot of people have cold compost, but I'm not a fan of them because it does attract the rats, you know, and then it, I haven't got it set up yet, but I'm going to get the three bin compost thing. And then while you're waiting to make, before you make your hot compost, keep turning it every, you know, two or three weeks so it doesn't keep rat nests in it. That's, there's nothing more gross than that. And then make your hot compost after that breaks down after two weeks or three weeks or something like that. And then on the bed. So, you know, really having good systems, I reckon. And, and you can do it. It's not, it's not impossible. You know, people think it's, you know, but once you are well set up, really and truly, I've, I believe that food gardening just does not take that long. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, um, that you were saying uh, about uh, recycling there and we we mentioned a little bit about climate change early on and one thing uh, I've learned from recording so many people 
um, across the world is that uh, gardeners very, very much are in touch with uh, the possibility of climate change. And certainly I am uh, in no illusions. And to be honest, are slightly surprised that there are still people that are. Skeptics, extraordinary. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. How, how have you found any changes? Well, it's big here, you know, in New Zealand, yeah. I mean, by being an island nation, well, I mean, England is too, but, you know, we are very affected by climate, and but we are also very aware as well too, and with the current government even more so, you know. My thing, I, I, when, I, when we first started this five years ago, Organic Edible Garden, I would say to people, if you follow us, you'll be able to put food on your table every day of the year. I figured that they could even, surely they could put a bit of mint on their table or a bit of parsley at the very least, you know, so I didn't think I was giving them false hope, but I did, I did truly mean that. But my message now is, I say to people, I, I re- and I do truly believe this comes from the heart that if there's one single individual action that people are going to take in this world to improve their their health and that of the planet, it is actually growing your own food. I mean, you know, just think about it. No transportation of food to supermarkets. You know, I think they say something like that. Transportation around the world contributes to 30% of, of global yeah, yeah. greenhouse gases. Uh, no plastic packaging you know, at all, no packaging. You're eating food straight out of the garden so your nutrients are as high as they possibly can, no, no storage anywhere. And just what plants do as well too. I actually did read, one day I read somewhere that food gardening is better than planting trees, but I never found that again, so I can't quote it unfortunately. But plants assimilate carbon dioxide naturally, we all know that. But compost and then it's you know, older cousin, humus, or humus, um, store carbon. I mean, there's just no better package that, you know, that individuals can, you know, sign up to basically to affect, you know, the slowdown Mm. of climate change, I believe, in food gardening. Yeah, and I think as well, actually, one thing that a lot of people who haven't grown any any veg themselves, and it doesn't have to be growing a a huge array of different veg, one thing they might not quite realise is just how much more intense the flavour can be. So if you're someone who hates vegetables from the supermarket, I'd put a fair bit of money on them that at the very least you're going to like them more from the garden. Well, and tomatoes and strawberries are a couple of yeah, those examples of those, definitely. aren't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then there's also the next generation, of course, too, isn't there? Hmm. Because, hmm. you know, if you've got little ones following you around and actually doing their own thing as well, too, they might previously have turned their nose up at vegetables, but not if they've grown them themselves. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's hmm. amazing what um, the difference it is. And my daughter never liked um, tomatoes. Um, until mm. we had uh, we had a couple of years where we didn't grow them on the nursery and we we don't um, grow them uh, commercially we grow them for ourselves but we had a couple of years mm. where we were just so busy we didn't get around to doing it um, so mm. she didn't try her first tomato from the nursery until she was about two maybe three she has had tomatoes pretty much every single day in her lunchbox or 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 for uh, whenever uh, since that point. Mm. And the thing is, too, that there's all sorts of different kinds. I mean, back in the day, tomatoes did used to be sour and a bit acidic, you know, to taste, and kids didn't like that. That's why they didn't like tomatoes. But, you know, all the little cherries now are so sweet and lovely. And you can also get the romas, you know, which are not, you know, and and non-acidic tomatoes as well, too, you know. So there's, yeah, Mm. and the yellowy ones are are not quite as acidic either, I don't think, or orange ones. So, you know, so there's, you can... 
Uh, I mean, I understand if people don't like the acidic taste, especially little ones, mm, but mm. good on her. Good on her. Yeah, <laughs> it's she, perfect for a lunchbox, isn't it? A few little cherry tomatoes. They're, they're absolutely fantastic, and they're nice and quick for me to do when I'm running late. <laughs> mm, 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 absolutely, yeah. So for people that want to get into doing a little bit of uh, kitchen gardening, a bit of uh, big gardening, where would you say they should start? Well, I think people should try microgreens. That's, that's my thing. And because everybody everywhere can actually grow microgreens as long as they've got a little bit of light. One presumes people have a bit of light in their apartment or hmm. um, townhouse or whatever. And what that does is you experience the joy of seeing seeds germinate. And I think once you've seen that, which is just extraordinary, really, you have to say. And this never fails to amaze me yeah. when you see that little thing curl up, you know, and then pop, and then you eat it. And microgreens are so brilliant. It just, I think that people lack confidence. And also I think that it can potentially be a little bit expensive, the outlay. And if you're not confident, then you can fail. And then you can go, oh, well, I'm not a gardener and you know and it's too expensive and blah blah and all that sort of thing but I think start extremely small and I would start with a little punnet of microgreens there'll be um, somewhere I'm sure in most places I know that there is I think it's Johnny's Seeds in the US is absolutely brilliant in Maine for microgreen seeds but I'm not really particularly sure about the UK and uh, but I'm sure there will be a fantastic microgreen seeds. Yeah, there is. There's um, there's three or four suppliers of uh, microgreens uh, in the UK, definitely. Mm. And um, we grow in soil in a nice seed raising mix. Uh, a lot of people grow in all sorts of things, you know, whether it's coir matting or all sorts of. But but we really believe that soil is is great. Not that um, it's actually the the nutrition comes from the seed, but the soil keeps it moist and and evenly moist. Um, and then containers is the next stage. So, and you can grow all sorts of amazing things, you know, all your leafy greens. Your lettuce is incredibly shallow rooted and you can just have, you know, three lettuces in a pot and sitting in the warmest spot. And the great thing is too, that you can grow them in winter because you can move them around to the warm places. You can take them inside. And as long as your soil is excellent, um, that you've got a really good mix, absolutely bulked up with nutrients um, and you water well, you'll be able to grow lettuces and little bits of English spinach and a bit of mesclun in pots. And then you can go from your leafy greens on to tomatoes when you start getting a bit more confident about that. And you can grow trees in pots if you know how to do that. You know, fruit trees, lemons and things like that, but you really should know what you're doing because it's cruel to put a tree in a pot and then look, not look after it. And then people go to little raised beds after that. Yeah, just something like about, you know, that just fits in with their lands, you know, with their little backyard of their townhouse or whatever. It might be one that's about 400 high or just even something on the ground. But maybe when you do raise it, it can sometimes hit the, get the sunlight better and just away you go. I'm not 100% sure about vertical gardens. I think you have to have really good irrigation systems in and... You know, people put things in crates and stuff like that, but, oh, you know, and all sorts of, you know, things. But you've got to be really onto it and really look after things that way. Yeah, that would be my advice. Yeah, definitely. And I wouldn't say vertical gardens are a, a good first stage, definitely, <laughs> like you're saying. No, definitely not. We've um, we've played around with vertical gardens and uh, 
quite honestly, I mean, I've got a reasonable amount of experience, um, um, but my my mum and dad have got even more. And uh, the amount of times we walk past there trying to figure out what <laughs> what was going wrong, um, they really are quite tricky. A great idea and something to be worked on, yes, definitely. Yes, no, that's right. But I do. You need a scientist behind it, though, don't you? <laughs> Indeed, yeah, yeah. <laughs> without a doubt. Um, and where do you see the organic edible garden going from here? Well, I would just like to see, you know, greater numbers of people taking up, you know, and taking up the message and things like that. And I already am. We've had many more sales of our calendars this year, which has been fantastic. We sell a calendar um, which does have all the moon phases um, outlined. I've got it online, obviously, as well, too, but we sell one that you can physically hold on to because it's brilliant for, like, being able to write notes about when to sow your seeds you know, because mm-hmm. we do have the planting time, but not winter, or not always just winter sow seeds. Where do I see it taking us? I don't know. I just, for me, you know, Nirvana would be the return of the backyard <laughs> with, um, you know, <laughs> from 40 years ago with everybody, you know, growing their veggies and eating their own food and chatting to the neighbour over the fence and taking their excess down to the, the local farmer's market and putting it on the trading table and people sharing seedlings and sharing tips and sharing produce, excess produce. And we have a really lovely thing here in, in New Zealand. Well, I, I think it's just, uh, well, I know. Oh, no, I think it's all around the country um, of these little kind of weatherproof hut type things. You know, they've got like a roof, but they're open at the front. And people just put food, um, and mainly vegetables and things like that from their gardens, just when they have too much and others can just come by and take it. That There's no exchange of money or anything like that. And that's really lovely. So I just see that because in this country, we do have a real problem with our food we actually the third most obese country in the uh, OECD and after the US and Mexico which is a pretty tragic statistic so um, and we really need we've got some work to do here and that's what I would like to see is just people being more confident growing food and more confident cooking it actually and that's the other part of it you know like knowing when to harvest and what to do with your food as well too make it into nice tasty dishes and um you know but that are not complicated and that people can do at the end of a busy day you know that's really important as well too mm. yeah because uh, on your website you've also got recipes yep absolutely I, I love cooking i love probably yeah i probably loved cooking first before i <laughs> gardened so um yeah and i, and I love eating too <laughs> So uh, we are very lucky. I have a brother-in-law who lives in London and um, he he's a bit of a crazy person like me about food and he always just loves coming to New Zealand. He says everything tastes fantastic here. So mm. there you go. Mm. Yeah, it's it is quite interesting actually because I uh, we again before we hit record I mentioned I've got um relatives in in Australia. Um and it's quite interesting how just from a supermarket although uh, they weren't shopping in a supermarket. It's a very a small sort of uh, scale there. How the vegetables uh, certainly had more taste than they did in the UK. Um, and I have never really got to the bottom of that. It could be, obviously, you fly for 12 hours and you are changing season, so it could be something to do with that. Um, but it was it was quite interesting how the smaller scale stuff in Australia, certainly, funny enough, carrots, um, we found tasted so much better than the supermarket varieties here. Mm, mm, mm. I don't know what that is. I, I mean, in, uh, I have actually just been visiting this year and um, my brother-in-law took me to some very good greengrocer shops and there were some pretty beautiful produce there as well too, but I guess that's not for everybody. 
yeah so no I just I don't know I just think maybe it's just the amount of sunshine I mean definitely vegetables need to have at least six hours of sun you know good strong sunshine and we have our sunshine's way too strong here but we do get burnt yeah so and and just good clean water good soils you know that haven't been used for other things I guess you know we've got sort of quite you know we've got soils that have just been in gardens you know haven't been part of buildings that have been demolished or anything like that you know so Hmm. yeah 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 Yeah, very nice and we we mentioned the website there and I think it's a good good time to to tell people where they can find out more about you and and what you do absolutely yep organicedibblegarden.co.nz Brilliant. Excellent. And the calendar you mentioned, is that just available in New Zealand? It is. I mean, you can, not well, you can purchase it, but it's just, um, you can purchase it um, in other parts of the world. It's just online. But um, as I say, you know, you, you are a six months out. But I do actually do, we, with our newsletter, I do do a Northern Hemisphere one as well too, which is just a, the other part of the year, if people were interested. But we are a temperate climate. So for those temperate climates, it will work for them fine. But um, many people will probably say that they can't grow what we can. They probably can grow what we can. And well, you probably can grow what we can in the summer, but not in the winter, because we can grow all through the winter as well too, you know. Yeah, and certainly for people listening in the UK, um, when I went through your blogs and everything you're growing, there was very few things I don't think we could grow. I think our season would be shorter, but other than that, I think the the majority of it you can grow. That's right, and definitely in the South Island, whereas we can put another lot of beans and we can extend our season we can put another lot of zucchini and we can put in more you know cucumbers and stuff like that and but the South Island can't they just do it once you know which would be more like you guys. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I'm sure people are going to definitely be popping over and, and taking a look at that. And we make sure we put all the um, links and everything for you on the on the show notes. It's been really, really interesting talking to you and, and fantastic. Um, and as we've been talking, the sun has now come up. Um, <laughs> we've had the sunrise and it is it is now morning here officially. Yes. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> well, I'm going to go and have my hot toddy for the night. <laughs> Very nice. Well, thank you for joining us and I wish you every luck um, with everything in the future, it sounds like you've got um, what many of our listeners will, will call an idyllic lifestyle. So, yeah, oh. well done. Lovely. Thanks very much indeed, Alan. Thank you very much. So, yeah, bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Plants and Me podcast. We'll be back soon. If you can't get enough of all things plant-related, pop over to plants-uk.co.uk. And if you enjoy our podcast... Don't forget to subscribe and rate us.